Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Uh, last week, we kicked off a series that we're calling Living the Good News, Living the Good News. And this is kind of on the back of our four weeks that we spent uh, looking at uh, everyone living God's mission during the month of, uh, of May. And last week, uh, what we're actually sharing is a, is a framework that we're looking at through four weeks. And uh, last week we looked at the first uh, part of that framework. It's a missional framework. And what I love about it is that uh, it's actually something that is, it's not tricky, it's not uh, difficult, it's actually an easy framework for us, but it's, it's beautifully simple and it's biblical and it's effective. And that's what I love about this framework. And, uh, and so that's what we're kind of unpacking. And last week we looked at the first part of this, which was presence where we, we looked at the, the idea that Jesus has come down and he has incarnated himself in this world. He's become one of us. He's presenced himself with us. And therefore, our call is the same. It's to present ourselves with those people in our lives that we live, laugh, work and play with. So that might be at work. That might be in your, in your school, at your uni. It might be with your friends and family. But who are those people and how can we live closely with them? So we spoke about this idea of proximity. And one of the things I challenged last week was uh, how are we going with creating margin in our lives? And I shared that uh, if, you know, that's a really important part because many of us are running hot and by doing that we don't have the time to actually listen and to sit with people, to hear what's going on in people's lives and to engage with some of the bigger questions that they may have. So we encourage us, how do we, if we want to live in close proximity to people, we also need to be those who just watch our margin, create some margin so that we can be present with people. And the other thing we looked at last week was just a reminder of God's presence, that God is before all things, he's in all things, he's over all things, he's under all things. There's no such thing as this sacred, secular divide. There is no place that God is not. And so that's encouraging for us to know that where it is, wherever it is that we go, whatever environment and place that we find ourselves in, God is already there. And he is already at work in people's hearts and in people's lives. And our role is just to come alongside and to pay attention, to give attention to what God is doing in our friends, in those people's lives that we're um, coming up against, those that we live, um, work, laugh and play with. And so that was last week. If you missed it, then I encourage you to go and take a, take a listen. Uh, you can go to our YouTube channel and you can, find it, uh, you can find it on there. So that was the first part of our framework, Presence. Today we're looking at the second part of our framework and that is that of Holiness, And that's what we're going to look at today, is holiness. Now, I don't know about you, but where did you get your picture of what holiness is? Uh, what's your, uh, it, maybe it was from growing up, uh, what shaped your understanding and concept of holiness? For me, I grew up in a conservative uh, Baptist uh, uh, church and family, and my view of holiness was someone like my granddad or my uncle, who wore the schmickest suits that there were around and carried the thickest Bible that they could do under their arm, 
walking into church. That was kind of my picture of holiness. It was like this, uh, it was all about uh, what you, and there were also people who didn't drink, smoke, and classic Baptist style didn't dance as well. So if you did those three things and had a good suit and had a thick Bible, that was my picture of holiness. You know the rule, you've got to leave enough room for the Holy Spirit when you're dancing. Anyway, young people will know that if you're at least in my generation. Anyway, so... Um, that was what I grew up. I remember one day going to church and, uh, and I was about to step into the church and I must have had messy hair or spiky hair and my uncle at the time, he licked his hand like this and then folded my hair down so it was nice and, nice and schmick. And then he said something to me with the words of the, to, the, to the effect of, now you are presentable enough to be able to enter into church. That was my... Um, picture of holiness. So I thought that's what it looked like. It was all about presentation. It was all uh, about the outward and the external, the things that you excluded, the things you didn't actually do. What shaped yours? What shaped your concept of uh, holiness? And so let's, let's have a look a little bit about what holiness is um, today. So holiness, if we look at this idea, there's a, two kind of ways in the scripture that this is spoken about. The first one is as something that is set apart, something so we think that God is holy as we've sung about today. Holy, holy, holy the Lord God Almighty is holy. So there's that sense of God being set apart. It also means to be distinct and separate and belonging to God. So belonging to him. So we see this in our uh, 1 Peter, where Peter says this, he says, a chosen people, distinct, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Remember that the mission of God is in the hands of ordinary people. You and I, we're called to be royal priests, that is to carry the presence of God. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We're to be distinct, set apart, separate, those who are God's special possession and longing belonging to him. So that's one of the first senses of holiness that we see in scripture. The second idea of holiness that we see in scripture is tied up with Christ-like character and conduct. So that is that you and I as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we are called to be set apart belonging to God, but we are to live our lives in such a way that they look like Jesus. We live our lives in such a way that they look sound uh, like Jesus, that we follow in his ways, his words and his works. Our conduct and behaviour is in line with that. And we see this when Paul says in Ephesians, he says this, Therefore I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. As those who have been belonging to God, who are found in Christ, we're called to live a life worthy of that particular calling. It is a beautiful calling. As a follower of Jesus, following him is the most wonderful and beautiful and adventurous things that you and I will be part of. And we're called to live a life that is worthy of that particular calling. Now, I don't know about you, but there have, over, the time, over the years, and this is, this is in church history, it's also at times more recently, there are some Christians who in their desire to want to not be influenced by the world and to live like Jesus have thought that the best way to do that is to actually exclude ourselves from the world and create a Christian bubble type of lifestyle. So it's a, an exclusion so that we can live in exactly the same way that Jesus has called, but to do that, they live in a, in a Christian 
in a Christian bubble. That's not what holiness is about, though. Holiness is not about excluding ourselves from the world and living in a Christian bubble. It means living differently. It means living distinctively in the world. And a phrase that some of us might have heard over the years, which comes from the Scriptures, is that you and I are called to be those who live in the world but not of the world. In the same way that Jesus said, I'm not of the world, you and I are called to live in this world but not to be of this world. You see, not once, not once did Jesus fear contamination from the world. Rather, he saw that his holiness, the way that he lived, would rub off and influence the world and the people around him positively. We see this beautifully in the incarnation. The word of God became flesh. He took on you and I. He took on the sin of the world. He wasn't afraid of that. He saw, though, that his lifestyle, the way that he lived in his holiness, would have an influence and an impact on the people around him. You see, holiness is about living out holy lives right in the midst of those who don't. That's what holiness is about. And you see, in this second sense, holiness is one that is visible to all. And this is what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 5 when he says that we are the light of the world. He says, you are... Not you might be, all right? Not you can be. He says, as a follower of Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may what? That they may see your what? Your good deeds and do what? And give praise. See, the whole idea of our lives are that so that people would see our lives, see our good deeds and what? And then the response being that they would give praise to God, that they would put their faith and their trust in the person of Jesus. See, central to the New Testament is this idea that when followers of Jesus embrace holiness, it will make people's mouth water in the wider community and cause people to seek after him. You see, just look at the life of Jesus. Look at the life of the one that we follow. There is always, there, there is and there was always something powerfully attractive about him. Sure, he challenged people. He called, he called people to repentance. He made people feel uncomfortable. But as you read through the stories of his life, you see that people were drawn to him. He was like magnetic as well. People were drawn to his life and the way that he lived. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote, uh, wrote this, and I love this. He said, How little people know if they think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. You see, holiness, if we understand it correctly, it is meant to be something that is irresistible. People are meant to look at your life and are meant to find your life, the way that you are living, the way that you are conducting your marriage, the way that you are parenting, the way that you are handling yourself at work, the way that you're managing friendships, the way that you're dealing with suffering. All of these things are meant to look at all of that and find it irresistible. They're meant to call, find it attractive. So holiness is not something dull. Holiness is actually something beautiful, something incredible and something irresistible. 
Now, we see this, this is kind of, Paul kind of just emphasises this further in, uh, in Titus. And here in this little passage, I want to look at the whole, the whole thing. But uh, the last little bit is what I'm really, really interested in. But here's Paul. He's talking to his kind of disciple, all right, Titus. So we're, first of all, we're seeing this discipling relationship. All right, Paul with Titus, he's like a church planner and so Paul's there helping Titus um, to know what it is that he should teach his new church plant and his congregation. And, uh, and this is what he says. So I'm going to read the whole, the whole thing and, but as we get towards the end, I'll kind, of, I'll kind of land this. So this is Paul saying, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And he goes on. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will, will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be contemned so that those who may oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And then he goes on and says to slaves, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. And here's the, here's the reason, okay? Here's verse 10, here's the reason. So that, okay, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive so that in every way they'll make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. He tells his Paul, telling Titus here, to teach his congregation of slave and free, young and old, men and women, to, de- to conduct themselves in this manner, not to win salvation, okay? Uh, salvation's not about the way, anything that we can do to earn that. It's not about salvation. It's not about mercy, receiving mercy. That's already been given to us by God through Jesus. Instead, Paul insists that Christians live this way to make the teachings of Jesus attractive. Michael Frost, uh, in his book, uh, Surprise the World, he calls it the importance of living questionable lives questionable lives. He's not talking here about morally questionable lives, okay? He's talking about living lives that raise curiosity and evoke questions, that raise curiosity and evoke questions from not yet believers. You see, if we're to go back to that passage um, in Titus, here's the deal. Nothing would be more questionable, unexpected or attractive in the first century than a slave who loved his master, or a self-controlled young man, or an old woman who didn't engage in gossip. This is what Paul's trying to say. This is what, in that day, created and saw um, questionable, that raised questions, was attractive. That same challenge, you see, is set before us today. How do we live lives that make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive 
lives that raise questions and evoke curiosity from people. You see, this is exactly how the early church actually lived. The early disciples of Jesus, they nailed this questionable lives. Um, their approach was so effective that for the, uh, it, for the early disciples, it literally transformed the whole Roman Empire. Ordinary disciples infiltrated all aspects of society in the, um, in, the first, in the first few centuries and they lived the kind of unexpected lives that raised curiosity and made the gospel of Jesus attractive. They devoted themselves to sacrificial acts of kindness. They loved their enemies. They forgave their persecutors. They cared for the poor and they fed the hungry. And so in the brutality of life under Roman rule, they were the most stunningly different people that anyone had ever seen. Uh, so surprising was their influence and their ongoing impact that 400 years later, Emperor Julian feared that they might take over the whole empire. And so he writes this letter. Have a look at what he uh, what he says here now. Of course, as, if you're the Roman Empire, uh, you, are, uh, you are the faith and anything else um, is seen as atheism and so he writes it in that kind of way. But he says this, he says, we must pay special attention to this point and by this means affect a cure for the sickness of Christianity. So he saw Christianity as a, as a sickness because it wasn't what uh, it wasn't the it, it wasn't um, trusting in him and in Rome. For when it came about, the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests. Then I think the impious Christians observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. And he goes on, and they have gained ascendancy in the worst of the deeds through the credit they win for such practices. See that? For the credit they win. For just as those who entice children with a cake and by throwing it to them two or three times induce them to follow them, and then when they are far away from their friends, cast them on board a ship and sell them as slaves. By the same method, I say, the Christians also begin with their so-called love feast or hospitality, we're going to look about hospitality next week, or service of tables, for they have many ways of carrying it out and hence call it by many names and the result is that they have led many into atheism or Christianity. You see, it's the example of these, of these early Christians that people saw and they took note of that and many people came to trust in Jesus to the point that here's an emperor who's needing to try to put a stop to this because they lived with an irresistible holiness, an irresistible holiness, a holiness of unexpected living that raised curiosity and in evoked questions. So being followers of Jesus in our world is not a matter of mixing in. We're not called to mix in. We're not called to look like everyone else. We're not called to be like everyone else and to do what everyone else does. A.W. Tozer, uh, he said it this way. He said, The church's mightiest influence is felt when she is different from the world in which she lives. Her power lies in her being different, rises with the degree in which she differs and sinks as the difference diminishes. 
our impact and our influence as a church sinks the more we become more like the world. But when we live holy lives that raise questions, that evoke curiosity, that is where our influence and our impact lies as a church. You see, if our lives look pretty much like any other respectable law-following Adelaidean, then what is so intriguing about that? If no one ever asks us any questions about our lives, then we're doing it all wrong. So let me ask a few questions. How questionable is your life? How questionable is your life? How attractive is your life? Does it just look like your neighbours' lives? Does it just look like others at your school? Does it just look like other parents' lives? Is your life distinct? Is it different in any way? Is there anything intriguing or surprising about it at all? Is there anything intriguing or surprising about it at all? How can we become a holy, intriguing, adventurous, joyous presence in the lives of others? What might that look like for you? How might you become a holy, intriguing, adventurous, joyous presence with the people that you live, work and laugh and play with? People at your school, people at your uni, people at your workplace, your family members. So, you see, our challenge is to find what similarly questionable, unexpected, attractive lives look like in the 21st century. And and that's something for all of us to to begin to think about. And there'll be particular things for you and there'll be some communal things for all of us. And so here's just a few thoughts um, that I have on what this could look like today. Uh, First of all, in in Ephesians, we looked at earlier, Paul said, Therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And have a look what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Humble and gentle. In a world obsessed with achievement and accomplishment at all costs, a world where people puff themselves up and desire the spotlight or feel the need to project their best life onto social media or a world that suffers from performance anxiety, then I think a humble and a gentle posture, a humble and a gentle life is one that is questionable and attractive. It's not a life that is out seeking the spotlight, fame or position. It's a life that is trusting God to do the work, a life satisfied and content, not with trying to earn their way up a ladder of some type, but to be content with the lower position. A life given to serving others and lifting other people up. That is a questionable and an attractive life. What about being patient? in a world that wants everything now and is exhausted trying to get it, then I think a patient life is a questionable and attractive life. A life that lives content and isn't chasing after the latest and the greatest and the brightest thing, that's a questionable 
an attractive life, one that actually says, you know what, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied in God. I'm satisfied in my relationships. I'm not chasing after anything else. I don't need anything more. I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm taking life at a sacred pace. I'm not taking life at a hurried pace trying to get, get and get. I'm just, I'm trusting God and I'm living at a sacred pace and patient. We're bearing with one another in love. In a world that can't seem to do that. In a world that wants to cancel anyone who doesn't think like they do. Then bearing with someone someone in love, surely that is something that is questionable and attractive. There's a whole lot more. In a world filled where, in a world where cynicism is killing our nation and destroying our hearts, a life that can take time to be grateful, to live grateful for everything that they have, to celebrate and to enjoy the little things in life, is a life that is questionable and attractive. What about how we deal with suffering? What about when we go through the hardest stuff in life and it feels like the bottom is being taken out of our life? How do we we deal with that? Do we deal with it with a sense of hope, a sense of of trust? How How we deal with that can be a great example to other people. Or how about we take some of Jesus' instructions on how we should live I think if our, in our culture today, if we live this way, it would be surprising and unexpected for people. Here's a, here's a list of some of the things that Jesus said. No evil for evil. What if we didn't seek revenge on somebody who, uh, who wronged us? What if we turned the other cheek? What if we did that at work? What if we did that in the, at uni, in the schoolyard? Generous. In a, in a world where there is some cost of living challenges, what if rather than trying to bunker down, what if rather than trying to hold and hoard everything that we have, we still live generous lives and we looked out for those on the margins, we looked out for those who were struggling and we just gave generously. Why? Because we know that God is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the one who has everything in his possession. So we know that we can continue to live generous lives. Well, we go the extra mile for people. That's questionable. Why did, why did you do that? That person doesn't deserve that. Well, I think they do. They're someone who's created in the image of God. So I'm going to go that extra mile for them. Oh, we love our enemies. Someone said something to you that hurts. It's hit your heart. It's not even true. How do we love them? How do we pray for those who persecute us? This is living questionable, unexpected. This stuff. In a, in a world that just would want to repay or revenge, this stuff, this is the Jesus stuff of life, right? This is the stuff that is unexpected and questionable. What about you put others first? It's not about yourself. It's about someone else. It's questionable. Live for eternity, not just for today. What do we live with the end in mind? knowing that you and I have a great future, one where on a new heaven and a new earth and we live with that sense of hope, that sense of expectancy and so therefore the things of this earth don't actually matter as much and as the old song says, they grow strangely dim when we begin to look at the future. And what about this one? Bless others. Bless others. In a world that is all about take, 
How, do, how is it that you can live your life blessing others with acts of kindness, with words of encouragement? Who doesn't need a word of encouragement? Do you know how many people are living with discouragement and disappointment and disillusionment in their lives? And just a word of encouragement, hey, you're a wonderful parent and here's why. Or you're a, you know, you, what, what, what a wonderful accomplishment you, you, sh- you did there on that job. And here's why. What about just, hey, you're wonderful. I love, I love the way that you responded to that person. Or, I, you know, I love your smile. I just love who you are. Encourage someone. Just put, put a bit of courage into people. This idea of blessing others, this can be so significant for us. There's actually some research done. Um, it was a doctoral thesis, actually. It was called The Blessers Versus Converters. And it was done a few years back now. And uh, the researcher had looked at two teams of short-term missionaries that visited Thailand. And they went with two very distinctly different uh, missional strategies. The team referred to as the blessers went with the intention of blessing people. That was all they were there for, just to bless those who were there. They saw their mission as being to bless whoever came their way in whatever practical ways they could. On the other hand, the converters... They went there with the sole intention of converting people, trying to get them across the line and evangelising everyone that they encountered. Here's the results uh, and the outcomes of the, of the study. The researchers found that the blessers had almost 50 times as many conversions than the converters. 50 times as many conversions than the converters. In a self-centred world, Lives that bless others is attractive and it's unexpected. And when we live in that way, we deepen relationships. When we deepen relationships, the things that are most important to people get discussed. And that's an opportunity for you and I then to to share Jesus. And in our final week as well, um, which Esther will be bringing us that message, we're going to be talking about Jesus Talks. It's not about just living. Today is about demonstrating and living. But there is also a spoken word component to this and we'll get to that in in the final week. But who can you bless this week? Who can you bless this week with words of affirmation, acts of kindness or gifts? You see, here's the deal. True holiness is irresistible. True holiness is irresistible. So let me ask a couple of questions for us today. What is God saying to you? As you've heard, I've I've spoken now for probably nearly 30 minutes. What is God saying to you? What's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? These two questions, by the way, they're really important discipleship questions for us because we don't want to just be people who hear what God is saying. We want to be people who then live out what we hear God saying. That's called obedience and that's what God calls us to. So what are we hearing God say and what are we going to do about it? So I'm just going to give you just a moment. If you're online, uh, you can... Answer those same two questions as well. What God's saying? What is God saying to you today? And what are you going to do about it? As we look at this whole idea of of holiness is irresistible as well. It is important that we know one thing in particular. Really important that we, you and I, we actually can't do it all on our own. We need the power 
and the presence of Jesus and his Holy Spirit so that we can live in this way. It is important that we live closely with Jesus, that we draw from him so that we can live in this irresistibly holy way. A famous Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he put it this way, he said, if you think you can walk in holiness without keeping up perpetual fellowship with Christ, you have made a great mistake. If you would be holy, you must live close to Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only one who is truly holy. He is the only one who is truly irresistible. But as little Christs, as little, that's where we get the name Christian from, little Christs, as those who have been called to be discipled to him and to follow him, then we too need to live closely with him and to live holy, irresistible lives. Would you stand with me today? And I wonder, I've just got a verse on the screen here. I wonder if we just read this uh, together to close. We got one more. Maybe we don't have that slide. I'll just read it over us um, today as we close. This is Paul's prayer um, in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. He says this, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so, God, today, we come and we want to live in close proximity with people. We want to live and we want to presence ourselves with people, with those that we live, work, laugh and play with. And we want to live with them and close to them in a way that is irresistibly holy, in a way that raises questions and evokes curiosity. We want our lives, Lord, to be those that are distinct and different, that are set apart, that cause people to wonder. And so, Lord, right now, I pray that you would help each of us here to know what areas of our lives might need a little bit of a change, what areas of our life might need some, uh, a call to repentance, what areas of our life might need a, a tweak or what areas of our life might need a full circle change so that we can be those who A, live close to you and but live in such a way that our lives raise questions from those who don't yet believe. So Lord, may our lives look like yours in your ways, your words and your works. And so Lord, right now I believe you're doing a work in people's hearts. Would you just continue to, to speak, illuminate to people the things that need a shift and need a change? 
Because, Lord, we don't want to be those people who just hear your word, who just hear what you're saying to us and then just shelve it. We want to actually live it out. We want to be the light that we truly are to this world so that people may see our good deeds and give praise to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to close today and uh, we're going to sing uh, a song. It's a song of worship, of course, that just reminds us about who Jesus is. But here's the thing. When we come and worship like this, these are moments where, where the gap between heaven and earth can be closer in our lives if we, as Mick said earlier, that we lean in to him. That we lean in because he wants to meet with you. He wants to encounter you. And we can encounter, as we saw last week, we can encounter God anywhere. He's everywhere. But there is something special that happens when God's people come together like this and with one voice and with one heart praise the name of Jesus together. And so may even in this time that we have, where we come and we worship him, he receive all the glory because he is holy, but that our hearts become changed and transformed as we live closer to him through these times of worship. So let's come, let's never take these moments that we come and we lift the voice of our voices to God for granted. They're special moments. They're special times. And so let's join in prayer. So Spirit of God, as we close off today, I pray that you would receive all the glory and all the praise. That it would be our desire to, to live close to you, to give you all the praise that is worth your name. And so Lord, together, your people come and in one voice we lift your praises. And so Holy Spirit, have your way among us. Continue to work in our hearts. Continue to work in our lives. Draw us closer to yourself. In this time of worship, we pray. We give you all the glory. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.